0: Family, I uh, I second that. I am grateful for every veteran, everyone who has served our country. That way, I want to say thank you. Thank you. We are um, taking a look at Bible prophecy now. When you talk about Bible prophecy, there's a lot in the Bible. that, you know, elements of prophecy. We're talking about end times prophecy. And um, we started this last week, and the reason, well, one of the reasons is because this wonderful book that God has given us, uh, about a third of it, third, actually 30% of the Bible is prophecy. So, I mean, an in, in amazing prophecy, not just general kind of stuff, you know, I think the sun's gonna come up tomorrow kind of thing. Detailed in advance in, in ways that the only way you could know is if you lived outside of time and space. It's one of the, it's one of the things that the critics of the Bible never talk about. I mean, they'll do, you know, there's, there's textual criticism, some a lot of the criticism is you know well that miracle's impossible you know the bible says this happens that's just far out too far out can't possibly be true um of course the bible claims that the one who's doing it is god so of course um we couldn't do it but that's the point but they never go into the arena of bible prophecy they never like really try to criticize that very little Criticism of Bible prophecy, and there's a good reason for it. There's not much of an answer. There, there's not much that you can do to discredit when something is predicted hundreds of, of years in advance, even to you know the detail, even to the dates, and um, and so I mean, how do you how do you discount that? We're we're in. A, We've been looking at uh, elements of the book of Daniel Daniel is one of the well Daniel is quoted by Jesus um, more than any other prophetic book and um, Jesus quotes it because daniel is just just really presses in on some things that are very detailed like for instance, the eleventh chapter of the book of Daniel is about um, is, uh, there's no chapter pro- prophetic portion that is more detailed than the 11th chapter of the book of, of Daniel. And, and part of the 11th chapter has already been fulfilled. The part that was supposed to be fulfilled by now. And then of course there, there's a section that's, that gives us what's going to happen. The, the section that has already been fulfilled is so detailed and, uh, and, and historically accurate because we have historical record of the battle be- battles between the Medio persians and the Grecian Empire and Alexander the Great and all of that, that, that Bible critics look at the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel and they say this, it had to have been written after the fact. It was, a, it was a, an addendum. Somebody wrote it and added it to the book of Daniel. And there's no evidence of that but you have to come to those conclusions, I mean, what do you do with it? It is so accurate, it's, it's impossible for anybody to have predicted it. We're talking about detailed descriptions of different wars, and who won those wars, and who was against who, and, and all of that, that, that you have to say the only way that could have been known is that God knew in advance and uh, inspired the writers. That's the kind of stuff that just blows the mind of those who don't want to believe the Bible, so they ignore it. We don't. We look at those portions of scriptures and realize that they tell us things in advance, that we have an insight to what's coming down the road and to know it. And the thing about Bible prophecy, you know, there are certain things that are just clear, very, very clear. And then there are other things that are more challenging in your understanding. And uh, because of that, some people come to not, not the ultimate conclusion, the ultimate conclusion, we know how that's going to ha- happen and what Jesus is going to do. And there's some detail, but a lot of the stuff is in between stuff. And so we're, we're kind of figuring out. And, um, We have sometimes different opinions on how that stuff might come to pass. And it seems like those things God has given us information, but the Bible actually tells us that some of those things will not be understood till later on. We'll find out those things as we get closer. And I think that's why right now we're having more of that happen than than ever before. I think there's a there's a greater understanding of what's happening because God says they would it would unfold that way. But the ultimate goal is not so that we can, you know it, it's not like so that we can go. I was the one that got it right. You know, it's not like someday God is going to say, "Well, Rick." How amazing you got it right, and uh, and I got a special reward for you because you got it right. That's not the way it works, though. I probably do have it right. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, but but the point is, really, it's really about us being ready, and and the goal is to give as much of this wonderful gift that God's given us—the truth. Of, um, of what he is going to do so that if we find ourselves in that day, and I believe we will, that we'll be most prepared for that. That we'll, we'll know and we'll see things and we won't be surprised. I think that's the biggest deal because I think if people are overwhelmingly di- surprised, I mean overwhelmingly, I think that can be a detriment. That can be very difficult for people in that time. So, Whatever time we're in, we've always faced the challenges of life. All of us do. The Bible says man has trouble as the sparks fly upward. Have you noticed sparks still fly upward? Okay, we face troubles. And it's a good chance that a good portion of people right here in this room right now at this particular time are going through some challenging things. I want you to know that it does not surprise God at all. The same God who has over and over and over again been able to tell us what 's going to happen before it happens, knows what 's going to happen to you tomorrow, and knows knew in advance what would happen to you yesterday he is still he 's still in charge it, nothing to surprise him, so I want to take you through kind of a road today and and take a look at well let 's start off at looking at where we are in Bible prophecy. Where are we right now at this particular time? And, uh, and to do that, we go to Luke chapter 21. And Jesus is preparing the people for what's coming soon. Not, not, not end time so much. He's telling them about what's happening. And the Jews are going to face tr- great a a tremendous amount of trouble and and tribulation. And um, in fact, the the temple is going to be destroyed and they're going to be scattered. And uh, as Jesus is telling them, they're about 40 years away, a little less than 40 years away from that event happening. And so he warns them at at this point. It's Luke chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies... Then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be a great distress in the land." And wrath upon his, this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Now, Jesus was warning them, and actually, some of them took heed. And so when the army started to come and Titus was surrounding the city and eventually would destroy the city and the temple, many of them got away because they knew her, what Jesus had said and, and it was passed down to them. And they did, but many did not. Most were not believers. And at that point, they got caught in the middle of that and uh, there was tremendous destruction. But I want you to notice this last phrase, There it says, And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now what is that? Well, it means that the time of the Gentiles is the time in which Jerusalem will not be in full control of the Jewish people. That they no longer will have control of Jerusalem or the temple. If you think about it this way, when Jesus was saying that, um, before Titus even came in, the Roman Empire still overruled Israel. But one place they didn't rule was the Temple Mount, where the temple was. They were in control. Right? So is it that Jerusalem just needs to be free, or is it also important that the Temple Mount is free. And I would say the Temple Mount. I do not believe, I still believe that we are in the time of the Gentiles. That has not ended. And it won't end until the Temple Mount is under control of the Jews. Right now, the Temple Mount is guarded by the Jar- Jordanian Guard. The J- Jordanian Guard sees the Temple Mount. Now the the Jewish guard is starting to come in and we're seeing a a shift happening in Israel. And that's an important thing that we see starting to happen because eventually Israel has to take over the Temple Mount again. And until that time happens, and it might not happen until Jesus actually comes back. And that the time of the Gentiles might go until that time. But I believe that we're still in the time of the Gentiles. Now i want to show you a chart, it's not detailed at all, and some of you go Rick, that is so basic. But um, <clears throat> it is what it is, and uh, I'm gonna use my trusty pointer, and this might drive you crazy, I'm telling you in advance, um, but what we have here is what's referred to oftentimes as Daniel's 70th week. Let, don't let the word week confuse you. It just means seven. So it's Daniel's 70-year 70, 70 period. It's a seven-year period of the 70, 7 year periods, the 490 years. It's at the end. It's the final time called the tribulation period. When we refer to the tribulation period, most people are referring to this seven-year period that is coming. And so we're in this period before this time here, and we're in the time of the time of the Gentiles. Now, Israel um, was scattered, and they have been scattered um, for almost 2,000 years, and we know in the uh, late uh, 1930s, Early 40s, Jews started coming to to Israel, coming to the land, the Promised Land. It was desert. I have actual, actually have photos from back in those times, black and black and whites, and they were. It was desert. There was nothing. There were there were no houses around the Temple Mount. It was you, you could just see, um, you know, uh, sheep herders and and all of that, and it was just desolate. And there were people that lived outside in Jerusalem, outside area. And um, in fact, Pastor Paul, his dad, actually lived in Jerusalem during the time before, during that time, and uh, and and uh, actually lost his home um, uh, during that time when they came uh, and uh, the, the Israel became a nation. They took properties and lands and houses and so forth. And um, so. Uh, which is kind of amazing. He was a he's a, a believer, the follower of Jesus, and um, and has no had no animosity toward those who came and took his home. Uh, wonderful man of God, his uh, his father was. But um, anyhow, we're th- so in this area here is where we are, and we're anticipating uh, something happening, and that the start of the tribulation period. And I can show you where it starts in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And and Daniel is is, uh, looking to this time, and he makes this statement. Then he, and the he here, if you circle it in context, I'm just telling you, the he here is what is referred to as the Antichrist. He is the one who is coming, who... um, um, will lead an army against Israel in the final days, and he will have great authority and power, and be followed by millions. Um, he, um, I sh- should, re- I should say, billions, more than millions, for sure, millions. But um, <clears throat> he, if you go back to the, to this here, to right here, it says that he shall confirm a covenant in one for one week now. Um, the ESV says he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or make, make a covenant. So the, the making of a covenant is, is, some say confirmed. That means that there would be a covenant already made and he just confirms it. Other translation says he makes a covenant. I, I, I tend to hold that one more. That he makes a covenant with Israel. Now we don't know all the details of that covenant. It seems like it's a covenant of peace by one who has power and authority already. Um, this is the Antichrist, probably not known yet then as the Antichrist. And, and he makes a covenant with them at, that they can resume their sacrifices on the temple, at, in the temple. So there's, so, so they have to resume sacrifice. And so what we know th- is this in the chart, That prior to this, sometime prior to this, Israel has to set up a place of of sacrifice, to sacrifice to God. And that would have to be a temple. They couldn't just sacrifice. They would need to sacrifice to God in the temple of God. And we know that's built according to actually the book of Revelation as well. And Daniel. So the temple is going to be built. Um, it could be the tabernacle is built first, sacrifices are made, and then they build the temple. The tabernacle was a tent-like structure that was first before the temple was built. God uh, ordained that, and Moses had it, had it made, and they worshiped God, and the tabernacle would travel with them until Solomon built the temple. Now, the original temple. But now, so sacrifice is gonna be made, and it could be made quickly. We don't know the time frame. But I can tell you this, you have some time. You have some time because the temple has not been made or the tabernacle has not been made. There's not been sacrifice made yet. Now, let, let me kind of explain this concept to you. You'll hear people say, I'll say at times, but you'll hear people even go as far as this and they'll say, every day you read the newspaper, Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. And I can tell you this, no, it's not. Not every day. There are things, see, what we do is we go, there are certain things that are Bible prophecy. Bible says this is good. This covenant is good, it's Bible prophecy. If you saw this covenant filled out, you know, and, and this covenant was made, you'd go, that was Bible prophecy fulfilled, right? Now, what you might look at is go, you know, there's some battles, maybe a war breaks out, and now you know that they're going to make peace possibly. And, that, and you would say, well, that war is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's just, maybe it's a precursor. Maybe it isn't. Do you understand the difference? Some is actual Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Some of it is perceived precursors to the Bible prophecy being fulfilled if you understand that, then you all understand that sometimes people will say, and this is where people get in trouble, because we'll say, this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And then you see something happen, and it changes, and it, it's not even happening the way they said it. And you go, did Bible prophecy not be fulfilled? They said Bible prophecy is fulfilled. No, it wasn't Bible prophecy. It was precursor to Bible prophecy. If it's Bible prophecy, it's what the Bible actually says is going to happen, not that these events start to work toward Bible prophecy. See, I believe, um, I believe that the Antichrist kingdom is going to be a renewal of the old Ottoman Empire, one of the biggest, most powerful empires in human history. I believe the Antichrist comes from the Solution uh, dynasty, and, uh, and that's the area of Syria and Turkey. I believe the Antichrist comes out of Turkey. And, and I think Turkey is a main player in the end, end times uh, scenario. I believe there's scriptural support for that. And, um, and we know, you know, all seven, you know, there are seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. You know, all seven of them came in the area of Turkey. All all seven of those uh, those uh, churches in the book of Revelation were in Turkey. And the Bible says that the seat of Satan was in Turkey. So we know that the scripture tells us that. So there's these, then there are other things. And so as we look at it, for instance, right now, uh, Otterwan, the, the ruler, the, the, the president, leader of Turkey, um, has determined to restore the Ottoman Empire. That's his goal. He is upfront about that, very verbal about that, wants to control the Middle East totally, and wants to start, but he's having some trouble. Now, he's not the Antichrist. I don't believe he is, I mean. but, But I believe he's someone who's setting things up. But because he's setting things up, I can't go, well, that's Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Not yet. It might be a precursor. He wants, to, he wants to revive the Ottoman Empire. He has, he has 50 nations already, have already, all their leaders have gotten together and they've had meetings now for nearly a decade. They have had meetings on how to attack Israel. They believe they could destroy Israel in 72 hours. That's, that's, they're, they're bragging about that. We believe we could take out Israel, and there would be a, an army, the, the armies of those nations would be over 200 million soldiers. Interesting. Um, point simply being that there's a difference between Bible prophecy and the precursors, and we look at those things. We see things on the horizon. Jesus actually told us to be to, to be able to look. We can, we can read the, he says, you can, you can tell what's gonna happen with the weather patterns, but you can't seem to tell what's gonna happen when it comes to the, th- the, the signs of my return, you should know those things. He says, so you are looking at things and seeing how they're coming to pass, in the time frame that they're, you know, that we're in, in the days in the, in the day that we're in. I really believe that we are in those days. And I know, get this pattern too, let me, I got a bunch of these little things I want to throw at you. Um, the, the, you'll hear people say, well, man, they've been talking about the coming of the Lord. I've heard this before. You know, he's, yeah, they say, they tell, I've been hearing this ever since I was, you know, a little kid, I, you know, if you're in church and, that Jesus coming back, all right. And there's kind of that. In fact, the Bible says there will be those who will mock and says, where is the sign of his coming? You've been saying that. Well, factually, we haven't been saying that for 2,000 years. There was a good season of time early in the early stages of the church where there was a lot of debate about the coming of the Lord. But then it kind of disappeared from church the 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 forefront of the church where the church didn't talk about the coming lord for centuries folks centuries and what has stirred it it kind of picked up a little bit in the early 1800s then got you know in the early 1900s it started to get a lot more when there was a zeus street revival and the outpouring of the holy spirit and all of that and then we've been talking about it um pretty much and since uh, par- probably in the last sixty years fifty years, um, certainly in this, my, my biblical time frame, and which is you know I got saved a little over you know almost fifty years ago um, and uh, and that we were talking about then yeah uh, and now I think we 're stepping it taking it up a notch i I think people are starting see. And th- so, if you go, wow, we've been talking about for 50 years, that's not a long time considering Jesus go- has been gone for 2,000 years. You understand? That we we look, we're so limited in our view, it's kind of like our little circle. We don't get the big picture of what's been taking place in in history. So... In history, we had a short time where the church talked about the coming of the Lord, and now at the end of time, we're talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are seeing things that literally are fulfillment of Bible prophecy. It's a literal fulfillment that Israel has come back and become a nation to, uh, again, that Jesus brought them from all over the world. That is a literal fulfillment. and so um, he, he, going back to Daniel 9, 27, it says he's going to confirm a covenant. And in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end of sacrifice and uh, an offering. So, let's go back to where we are so I can point my little pointer and drive you crazy. Um, so, he makes a covenant here. And in the middle of this seven-year period, he stops the the sacrifice. He uses whatever authority and power he has to say, no more sacrifice. And, and he, he goes into the temple and he desecrates the temple. Now, we know that's going to happen. Th- this time frame from here to here is actually 1260 days. And you go, and if you're doing your, if you're, you're just going, oh, well, 1260, what is that? Well, it's 300, and, it's three and a half years of, of Hebrew calendar. Okay, the Hebrew calendar is 360 days instead of 365. That comes to 1260 days. Say, why do I need to know that? Well, actually it will help you understand a little bit here because when we get on the second side, there are some other dates that come in. And, and so the middle, though, of this week, time frame, is three and a half years or, three, or 1260 days. And... Um, And the the scripture also says something else happens uniquely right here, right in the middle. Satan, who is up in heaven somewhere, right, is cast out. Listen to what it says here in, um, in, in chapter 12 of Revelation. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now, Satan, now this, you go, this doesn't make sense. Satan is actually in heaven, able to be in heaven. He, he, he wanders around too. Scripture says like a roaring lion. But he has access to heaven. What's he doing there? Accusing. Because that's what he is. He's an accuser. He accuses us before God. And when he's down here, he accuses God to us. And accuses one another to u- each other. That's what his work is. He's an accuser. But he's cast down. And when he's cast down, he knows he only has a short period of time. Actually, three and a half years. And when he comes down, what he does is he enters someone and possesses them. Now, you've heard of demonic possession. This is satanic. This is Satan possession. It's at another level of any human being. And it's the Antichrist that he enters into. So this man who starts at the beginning of our chart, um, he is then, he, the first three and a half years, there's, there's some things that are going on, but not much, right? And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of this time, Satan enters him, and that's when everything breaks out. Give me the chart again. <coughs> OK, so Satan enters him here. that's when he cuts off the sacrifices of the Jews. And it's at this point that from the, the middle here to the end, the Bible refers to as the "great tribulation." Everybody say "great tribulation." Because we often think of, well, the seven years of the Great tribulation isn't? It's the tribulation. But from the three and a half years, the Bible clearly states this is the tribulation that is so great, that greater than, than, than it's at, at any time, at any time. This is the great, greatest tribulation at any time. It says, so, it says, let's go back to verse, Revelation 12 again, and um, it says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you dwell in, dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now, now, when the dragon saw that. He ha- had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time, times, and half a time. That's another way of saying three and a half years. And you'll see that in Scripture. Time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. Now the woman here in the imagery that, that uh, is in the book of Revelation, the woman is Israel. It's, a, it's, a, it's the Jewish nation. And so it says he attacks. See, what he does is he attacks Israel, the, the Jews and the, many of them scatter. Like the first time when, when Titus a- attacked the Jews and uh, destroyed the temple. He attacks the Jews and they scatter. And it says they go to the wilderness. Now, Isaiah 19 says that Egypt will actually be the protector of the Jews during this time. And this is so. Understand, e- uh, e- Egyptian Christians, you know, and there are many of them. Actually, there are quite a few Christ- Egyptian Christ- Christians who. Um, they are actually. Th- this is something that's happening in the church in Egypt right now. They're actually building places to hide Jews. It's kind of like Corey Tinboon's, you know. Uh, hiding place where she, in, in her story, of course, in Nazi Germany, where they hung, they, they, uh, they hid Jews and they would do different things in places in their homes to make hiding places for the Jews. There are Egyptian Christians right now in anticipation of this happening who are now making places for their Jews to hide them. And uh, we know that the wilderness also is, there's other places that that might also represent as they go out. And some people said that the place of Petra and so forth. But it doesn't actually say that. So it, the, there, there's, um, they go into the wilderness. And, and this is, um, this is part of the story. The Antichrist, um, he's gonna blaspheme God. That's what he does um, he blasphemes the God of heaven and declares himself to be God himself. Um, the scripture says in Revelation 3.13, he performs great signs so that, that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the, in the sight of man. He's given tremendous authority, tremendous power by uh, Satan himself. And so he operates in a supernatural realm, so much so, That the Bible says there is a great falling away. Jesus talked about this. He talked about it. um, Paul talked about this being one of the signs, one of the signs before the coming of the Lord, that there would be the Antichrist would be revealed, and that there'd be this great falling away. Now, this is me, not, but what what I believe is that this great falling away happens during this time in the tribulation period, um, so that could you um, give me the chart again? I just want to point at something. Um, that 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 during this last three and a half years, when there's great miracles happening, I mean, he's doing tremendous things, and and the whole purpose is to see, deceive the world to follow after him. God, Satan, Satan has always wanted direct worship, always, and uh, he he has always wanted what God deserves, and. And so one of the things he's going to ultimately get is in the presence of the Antichrist, he's going to get direct worship. And so these miracles are being set, and I believe it's, this is the time of the great falling away. There's persecution to the church. The, um, there's, there are the, the great plagues that happen during the seven-year period mostly and intensifies in the last uh, three and a half years. And because of that, there are those who are not solid and founded. And I really believe this is why I want you to know this is going to happen. I don't know if you'll ever be in the middle of it. But if you are, I want you to know what is going to take place. The Antichrist is going to do great miracles and declare himself eventually to be God. There will be those who will identify him. There is someone coming named Esau in the, in the Muslim world, but um, Jesus is is who he is is supposed to be. He's not Jesus. He is a false Jesus who will declare the world to worship the Antichrist, and people who are ignorant of Scripture, people who are um, not solid, because persecution's coming, and people who tend to go with just the flow. You know there are a lot of people like that, that if you tell them. This is this is the way it works. This is real. This is what this is what you have to do. They'll just go right along with it. They don't. They don't. They don't. You know. They don't think for themselves. They go with the crowd. And so there'll be a lot of people will turn that way. They're Christians. The Bible calls it the great falling away. And so during that time, that's what's going to happen. The Antichrist will have. Um, he'll have authority. He'll have power over world economy. He'll affect world economy. I don't know that he controls for world economy, um, but he'll have some sort of economic uh, uh, oversight, pull, and influence. That's the biggest thing he's going to have is influence, because he really only runs 10 nations. He has a 10-nation confederacy. He doesn't rule the world, but he influences the world tremendously. And you think about this. Um, he is. Prob- he's, he's coming out of the Muslim world. He is. Um, he is going to be probably. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be a, a Muslim. And because the Muslims are looking for their Mahdi, they're expecting him. In fact, there's more activity right now in the Muslim world, um, YouTube and other um, uh, other. Um, communication outlets, um, where Muslims are saying they believe the Mahdi is alive, he's he's on the scene, and he's ready, and they're just anticipating. He's supposed to come from from uh, Medina and walk to Mecca, and when he gets to Mecca, he will be known as the Mahdi, recognized, identified, and then been given the uh the authority as the Mahdi, and they're i wait- 'm telling you the Muslim world is looking for this to happen, and you have one point two to one point five billion people ready, and that happens well, that affects every, that affects pretty much every nation. Um, Europe has opened the doors to just millions and millions of Muslims coming in, and um, so they 're having problems actually. Um, with the Muslim community there that wants to, you know, wants to do things different than them. And so, um, now you have hyper, ready to go in the Islamic world, Muslims who believe that their Mahdi is here and they're invincible because of that. And how does that change? Well, it changes the world, even economically, it changes the world. We'll talk about that next next week. How many of you um, know about uh, a company called BlackRock? Yeah, quite a few of you. We'll um, we'll kind of enter into what kind of authority and how that plays a role next week a little bit. But anyhow, let's. Um, in case you don't know, there's a company that all the top ten companies in the United States you know, Exxon, Mobile, Apple, top 10. This one company has more um, financial power than all those companies together. There's only two, place, two, two organizations in the world that has more power than uh, BlackRock and that's the United States and China no none of the other countries' have as much economic power as Rock. just interesting anyhow some of you are going yeah okay Rick I sold stuff but not everybody so um, the the antichrist desecrates the temple as we said and um, and then one of the last things he does is there's a gathering in in fact take a look at Revelation chapter 19 <clears throat> It says, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. In other words, this is the end times scenario of what's happening as Jesus is returning. The Antichrist kingdom is coming after Israel, and then they recognize Jesus is coming. Here's the thing. They've been taught that the Mahdi will destroy Jesus. The, the real Jesus. They, they, they consider Jesus the Antichrist. It's all turned, right, in the kingdom. It's all set up. It's all ready to go. And so in Revelation 16, 13, says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And, and they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, what is this? This is the, often referred to as the Battle of Armageddon. You've heard that. This is also and misunderstood, um, but people oftentimes separate these two battles. And the, I believe the Battle of Gog and Magog is the Battle of Armageddon. You'll see, if you put those two together, Ezekiel 38 and the, and, and the book of Revelation, you t- take the battles and you, and you put them side by side, you'll see that they're identical. There's a few things one's missing and a few things the other one's missing in the storyline, but they're the same. And you have that. Like you have the Gospels. You have four, four, four pictures of Jesus. Every, all four of them are exactly right. It's the same Jesus. We don't have four Jesuses. But one might give this part of the story of jesus and and uh, and th- and this one might leave out some of that but give you more information and that's what this is Gog and Magog is the battle of Armageddon, and uh, you do your own study on that if you want I'll, at some point i'll I'll give a little bit more detail. but the Bible tells us that um, that the lord uh, in fact in, in ezekiel thirty eight He's going to give you the beginning of this. He says, now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of, of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and hook Put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army and horses and horsemen, all splendid clothes and great company and bucklers and shields and all of them ha- hand- hand- handling swords. Now some of you are going, well they're going to come with horses and horsemen. It's not much of an army. Remember he's given them a vision. If he says they're coming with air force and, and tanks and he wouldn't know what they're talking, he's talking about, right? He, he's speaking in the vernacular of the person receiving the prophecy. But we understand what that means. We understand that when he's talking about the armies coming, they're going to come. They're not coming with horses. They're coming with conventional weaponry. But that was, the, that was the, the military of the day. So that was the point, getting the understanding. And the armies that come around, come are the armies that are surrounding Israel, Those are the nations that are coming in the battle of Megiddo, and uh, and then in verse 15 of Revelation 6. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is is able to stand? They will see Jesus coming. They will see Jesus coming. So give me that again. Um, So, here's here's what happens. We go to the end. How do you know the tribulation period is over? Well, I'll tell you, it's really not over when Jesus comes back. There's something that happened before that. We've already talked about this, right? The Bible says, Jesus said this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven fall, and there's a great earthquake, and then you will see the sign of the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory, and he'll gather together as elect from the four winds. So what happens at the end is this cosmic event. Sun darkened, moon darkened, stars falling, what you know, and great earthquake, and we look, and then we see the coming of the... the the Lord in the clouds. And what does he do? Well, he goes to the Valley of Megiddo and he destroys the armies that are coming against Israel. Israel is half taken at that point. 50% of Israel is destroyed. They're in the Valley of Megiddo with a massive army to completely destroy Israel. And and it's kind of interesting because that kind of fills some of the scenario that... um, that the the Muslim nations under, you know, when Audubon got, gathered those 50 nations together to, to make a plan on how they're going to destroy Israel in 72 hours, they said, that they would have an army of over 200 million. And that looks like what that is. And so they come into the valley of Megiddo and Jesus destroys them by j- just the sword that comes from his mouth. And they're, they're, they're the skin melts off their their bones they just and and they're destroyed this is this is the destiny the scripture says also um, um, it, it tells us that at this point when Jesus is coming down Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 says this it says and I will part on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look upon me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. What is happening? They're seeing Jesus and they're recognizing that Jesus is coming down. He was their Messiah. He's the one that they have rejected for 2,000 years. Their Messiah. Not everyone, not every Jew rejected and of course the whole early church began with Jews and in the book of Revelation it tells us there are 144,000 Jews that declare the message of God so they're in but all, everyone who survives, everyone who gets through the tribulation period, every single one of them will look up and they will know that Jesus, there will be a revival in Israel on that day of revival. It's what people are praying for. You know there are hundreds of Christians in Israel right now praying for Jews? That's what they do. do, There are people who go and and there are prayer groups that are constantly going in to Israel and what are they doing? They're praying for Israel. We don't have to go there to pray. You can do it from wherever you are but uh, you pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You pray that God restores Because why? Well, because the Bible says this. If the casting away of Israel, the Jews, when they disregarded Christ, became opportunity for us to come into the kingdom for the purposes of God in the Gentiles, how much more will their redemption be? You think it's good now, wait till then. You understand? God is gonna bless the world and we'll be part of that in in the final kingdom time, and um, and so the the end for the antichrist and the devil the ultimate end is the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And uh, I think I'm going to stop there since I'm over time and we have communion. If anybody wants, would like to take it with us. But I want to pray this. Listen, we're looking out there and we're seeing. We're th- seeing things that are starting to, I would say, not the fulfillment of prophecy, but more than any other time, we're seeing the pre-fulfillment of prophecy. We're seeing the things organized. The, 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 you know we're looking at the Antichrist kingdom that the Bible talks about. The Bible gives us actually the names of the nations that are going to come against Israel. And what we do know that those nations are in a, in a, a certain level of alignment. And and as they're moving, there's some things that have to take place. I believe that there's probably going to be a war. I'm just saying that. I, I, I think it makes sense that someone rises up out of a defeat and becomes the peacemaker and the galvanizer. The Antichrist will galvanize. And according to Islam, the Mahdi will unify the Sunni and the Shia. They've never had that in all of history of the Muslim world since Muhammad, they have not been unified. Now they would be unified together. You have a million five, million two, I mean billion two, billion five Muslims under the leadership of one man. I see that is a very easy process happening. But the world, the, the Antichrist kingdom is moving together. What's happening between Iran and Turkey right now, um, they're, the, they're battling for dominance. Um, And so what's happening with Israel, and uh, I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but listen, the United States is not going to be a superpower at the end of this all. At least, I shouldn't say that, they will not be engaged. I'm not saying that they couldn't be a superpower, but they're not going to be engaged. China is not going to be engaged. China's in trouble right now. And if you know it, economically, there are, p- there are economists saying China's not going to pull out of this. They're going to have a collapse. They're just, they're, the, the top companies, some of the top companies in China have already gone bankrupt. And we're talking in the billions of dollars. Uh, China right now is having rolling blackouts all across the country. They do not have enough energy to keep their electricity going t- full-time. They're having rolling blackouts. They are, they are also hoarding. Um, right now, they don't have enough food. And so they're hoarding food. In fact, some of them have been told that to, to, you need to supply, and the supplies are gone. And we don't know what that's about, if there's another breakout coming in China, and they're telling people to get ready for it. China is not the superpower everybody thinks they are. Militarily, they cannot go against the United States. And there's a big publicity- you know they they've really lied a lot and uh and so we think oh they're the the superpower they they spend more than fifty percent of their uh, of their um you know th- their resources their military resources on on people and you know in, in a military battle, you need soldiers, but you also need equipment, and they don't have the equipment that they that a lot of you know we've been told to believe they do. They they, they can't they can't they they can't face now. People are saying down the road, but economically they're in big trouble. Their economy is in big trouble. They they built their nation huge, but they did it on debt. It's kind of like what some of our politicians are trying to do, and uh, it's a bad way to go. Anyhow, listen. This is, this is it. I'm going to close with this. And if you would like to stay for communion, feel free to. The same God who has told us all these thousands of prophecies, and he's been accurate, the same God who promise you promises you eternal life with him through His Son Jesus Christ. God tells the truth. He's faithful. He sent his son to die for you and me. And anyone here, anyone that's watching online, if you have not given your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? Jesus has proven God's love, the greatest act of love. If you ever want to ask the question, does God love me? Just take a look at the cross. It was proven there. He didn't have to, he wanted to, for our sake. And so, um, it's a simple, God made it so simple. It's free, but it'll cost you everything. And you simply come to Christ and you just say, Jesus, you can do this right now, and just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe that you are the son of God, you've died for my sins, and you were buried and you conquered death. So I choose you to be my savior. I do not want to stand before God based upon my own goodness. I prefer to hide under your goodness. I prefer that you have cleansed me and I stand in your righteousness. So Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul, and I choose today to follow you. I ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, um, if you prayed that prayer, would you let us know? All you have to do is go to our website, ccanaheim.com. And, uh, and let us know that you receive Christ. We'll help you with your walk with God. We'll give you some information. that will help you along the way and, and give you access to some of the base, basic material that will help you in your understanding of who God is in the Bible. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. The ushers are already passing out the uh, communion cups. And the, you can take them if you want to have communion with us. And uh, and we're going to open our hearts to the Lord and and worship and worship. Uh, and express our hearts to God as they're doing that, okay? still rolls the stone away doesn't he he rolls away stony hearts and gives us hearts of flesh he makes access to defeat death that's what this is about jesus when he before he went to the cross he wanted to give something to the disciples that would be passed on for us to remember what he did for us not because he wanted our sympathy but he wanted us to understand the power that is available because of what he did. That that in the sacrifice that he made on the cross, provision is made for us. Provision of of freedom from sin, provision of forgiveness of sin, provisions of power and access to God. So. He took the bread that was in that passover unity he took that bread that unleavened bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is given to you so as he handed it out they would partake of that bread that was given to them that reminded them that would remind them because it hadn't happened yet then but we look back and it has he died on the cross for us and his Body was broken and he died physically so that we could have resurrected bodies ourselves. So we take this bread in remembrance of the sacrifice he made in his body, receive. And then he took the cup and he said, This is a cup of the New Testament of my blood, a new covenant of my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. This part of the communion is about the blood that was shed for forgiveness of sins. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the scripture says. So we take this in remembrance. You know what? You're, you're not taking it so that God will forgive you. But if you have Jesus, you're receiving this in remembrance of that you have already been fully cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, fully. No more guilt, no more shame, only the cleansing work of Jesus receive.
1: When